Welcome to the Good Athlete Podcast, the voice of the Good Athlete Project. Today's podcast was recorded live at our most recent event, the Beyond Strength Clinic in Northbrook, Illinois. Tommy Christian and I had the pleasure of sitting down with all-pro cornerback Charles Tillman. Charles played 13 years in the NFL, 12 in Chicago and one Carolina. He went to two Super Bowls, recorded 911 total tackles, three sacks, hauled in 38 interceptions, scored eight touchdowns, and most notably, forced 44 fumbles. That's where he got known for what's called now the Peanut Punch. In today's episode, we will go into exactly how Charles Tillman got the nickname Peanut among countless lessons from the field. You're going to love this one. Not only was Charles a two-time Pro Bowler and one of the all-time favorites in Chicago Bears history, but he was the 2013 NFL Walter Payton Man of the Year award winner. His character complements his game. So as we enter the backstretch of the 2018 football season, tune in to hear from one of the best who's ever played. To find out more about the Good Athlete Project, find us on social media at Coach the Number Four Kindness. That's Coach for Kindness, or at GoodAthleteProject.com. Uh, just a typical, just a typical boy, you know, I have an older brother and we would, you know, wrestle, be in the yard, playing outside, things like that. And um, I saw football for the first time. I don't know exactly where I was at or how old I was. I was probably about five or six. And um, typical boy, you know, guys wrestling and jumping on each other. I'm like, whoa, that looks fun. You know, the helmets, the shoulder pads, things like that. So I remember telling my... Um, I remember telling my dad, it's like, yo, I'm, I want to do that. I want to I do that. I want to be a football player. Didn't understand the game. I just saw people tackling each other and wrestling. And I was a, a pretty physical kid, always wrestling and fighting. So I, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do that right there. And um, was always playing outside with my friends. Um, I didn't play organized football until eighth grade, until eighth grade. But I always was in the yard, in the street just wherever, playing football. And, um, Were there other sports too? or was it Oh, no, no, no. It was every, I, I played sure. everything. Um, I lived overseas as a kid, played a lot of soccer, um, basketball, track, wrestling, um, you name it, I did it. I probably would have played lacrosse and hockey, but it just wasn't, it wasn't out or around where, where I was living at that time. Um, the big difference that I noticed with football was I was probably in third grade, I was in... I was in Eiseltum, Germany, and we were playing a football game, and it was my brother and this older kid named Warren, and it was, a, it was a run play, and I was like the lead blocker. And I blocked Warren and my brother, like, at the same time. They were trying to get by, and I just, what, what little strength I had at that time. Um, I remember blocking both guys, and they both fell. I got a pancake off both guys, and both, my brother was in fourth grade, and Warren was in like the sixth grade or seventh grade. He was a bigger kid. And I just remember saying to myself, like, well, I'll be. Hence, I get the nickname Peanut, because I am small. I'm like, my brother was like Will Smith and I was Carlton growing up. Everyone used to compliment my brother about his height and, wow, you're so tall, you're gonna be a basketball player. And it was just, oh, hey, Peanut. Um, so that drove me a lot too, being, being the second born, being the youngest child. Uh, being the smallest one in the family, being the little shrimp, I hated it. 
Um, I was always last to get, I ain't gonna say last to get picked, always, but I was just like the little brother all the time. So that right there fueled me um, to, to be great. I could never beat my brother in basketball. He was, you know, obviously a lot taller than me. I was a little shrimp. And I just, I don't know, man. I just, I, I worked at, I'm a guy with, with all that I've accomplished. I look at how I was as a child, how I was as a kid. And the minute when I saw football and I said, yo, I'm going to do that one day. And then all through high, or junior high, high school, college, in a league. And maybe a couple years ago, my dad and I had a conversation. And then he just basically said, you know, I am, man, I'm really proud of you because whatever you set your mind to, you actually accomplish, you know? Um, I got a master's degree and he was at the graduation and he was like, I'll be, man. I remember you went to college and you got a degree and now I'm back again for this. You got a master's degree and the league and oh, I'm just, I don't know. When, when I'm a kind of guy who, if there's something that I really want to do, like I'm gonna do it because I just have that mindset. So I think the next crazy thing I might, I'm thinking about, I'm thinking about getting a pilot's license. Not like your brother, not, not I thought about that. Yeah, but I'm thinking about doing it, trying to uh, fly helicopters. Well, yeah, right? It looks fun. Yeah. It is dangerous, but it looks fun though, right? Why not? I know nothing about it, but if you want my <laughs> advice, do it. You should definitely do it. Um, I love that. And, and, and you mentioned one thing that's so powerful about sports is uh, we talk about it at the beginning of the day through the, uh, sort of a neuroscience slash uh, social theory perspective. Yeah. And you're, you're, that drive, whether it was uh, an older brother kind of pulling you alongside, even whether it was with challenge, uh, the, how good it felt to knock over Warren for the first time. And then it's, uh, it's kind of like your borderline on obsession in the pursuit of this thing. It's what's special about sports. Did, did, how have you been able to maintain such a healthy relationship to that drive throughout? So it's, I think it's good and bad because I'm the kind of guy where I'm, if I'm all in, I'm 100% in, I have my blinders on and I am 100% focused on that task. Mm -hmm. um, the, the pro side to that, it's, it's great on accomplishing whatever task you're, you're, you have. Uh, I think the downside sometime is you get so focused and you know, I have a wife, four kids and sometimes I neglect that because I'm so focused on getting this specific task done. Um, I think that's just how athletes are. Like your true athletes, the, the, the good ones, um, I think that's just kind of how we're hardwired. And yeah. it's that being wired that way, uh, the, my chemistry, my makeup, um, that's what's led me to be successful in whatever I put my mind to. There's no question, that makes total sense. And, and for the people here, for myself, maybe for you as well. Um, what do the conversations with your family look like? Meaning, they must understand you. They must get you by this point. Um, yeah. You know what I'm saying? No, how, how, what, the, what, is that, what does that look like? How do you maintain that? How, how are they? Yeah, they're, they well, they, they are supportive. Well, well, just with, with football, for instance, it's, um, hey, uh, I want to make the Pro Bowl. And I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm real big on writing down goals. Mm -hmm. And there's a, um, a book called uh, The Strangest Secret by Earl Nightingale. Mm -hmm. And he talks about a verse in the Bible, and forgive me, I, I don't know the verse off the top of my head, but um, 
uh, it's in Matthew, and somebody can pull it up. It's, you know, knock on the door, it'll be opened. Seeking, you will find. Um, knocking, it should be, once the door, it'll be open. Uh, something, it's something along those lines. Before we get out of here, I'll, 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 I'll give it to you. But in this book, he says, um, write that verse down and write whatever it is you want on the back of this index card and look at it every day. Look at it when you wake up and look at it when you go to bed. So I used to carry this around in my wallet and my goal was to make um, a Pro Bowl. That's what I want, I want to be a Pro Bowler. I heard this CD and this, this album, whatever, back in 2006, the first time I heard it. And it took me up until 2011 to get my first Pro Bowl. So I carried that for a, a number of years. Sure. And I'm the kind of guy that knows if you truly want something, you have to stick with it. Obviously playing in the NFL or getting to the NFL at the age of five and not actually accomplishing it until I was 22 took me a bit of a time. So 2006, every year, I'm, every day I'm looking at this card, boom. I make my first Pro Bowl. Okay, I've done that, I've accomplished that. Now what do I wanna do? I think I wanna get a master's degree, all right. So that was one of the things that I, I, I just put a line through um, Pro Bowl and then I put master's degree. And then, you know, I graduated in 2015. Yeah, June of 2015 is when I got my master's degree. Then just thinking about what are the things that I can do. Oh yeah, I wanna go to the FBI. So I put that on there. So I'm, I'm very goal driven and I think my wife knows that. Um, when she sees I'm, I'm on a task, it's like, okay, he's gonna do this, watch out, mm -hmm. we're just along for the ride, kinda sorta, and that's just, again, it's just how I'm wired. Some, some of it's good, some of it's bad. Sure, well, and appear and speak at a Beyond Strength Clinic hosted by the Good Athlete Project, check. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, go, go, let's, we can scratch it off the card. Uh, so, again, going back once again, one of the, one of the things that uh, is important to a lot of us is, um, say you get a kid like you, doesn't happen very often, super driven. We're, there are a lot of models, role models, coaches, teachers, et cetera, in the audience. Um, tell us what worked best for you from that perspective. Like, who were some of the, you mentioned your dad. Yeah. Were, were, was it your dad that kind of helped you along this path? Were there any early coaches when you were young? Yeah, I think... Uh Great journeys require great guides. And along my journey, my dad was one of my guides. I, I, I think you as the athlete or the person, you have to be smart enough to realize who those, who those guides are. And one of them were my parents. Um, I thought, growing up my dad was in the military and I thought my dad was G.I. Joe. I used to love that cartoon and you know, he used to take us to work with him and sitting in cockpits of Apaches and riding in tanks and, you know, riding a, a deuce and a quarter, his, his, the truck that he had. And I, I just, I love that, the, the guns and the helicopters and knives. And like, my dad was G.I. Joe and watching him go to work and do his job, I thought it was the coolest thing. I wanted to be my dad. And watching him and him raising us with the discipline of the military, um, I, those values that he instilled in me, I use those same values in my own kids. Uh, 
Fast forward, I get to high school. Um, Jack Welch was the head coach of the Carpus Cove, I'm from Carpus Cove, Texas. Um, he was a genius uh, when it came to football and knowing how to motivate the, the biggest kid and the smallest kid to think that, you know what, if you run through that wall full speed, I guarantee you'll break it. And the kids would think it. You know, for sure we didn't have the, the best athletes in my area, but we worked our tails off. And because of that, you know, guys were getting scholarships left and right. I think off my, my senior year, off my high school team, we had three guys get drafted in the NFL wow. off one team. And that's just the area, working hard, um, that was him. He, he guided me, taught me some things. Um, my college coach, Gary Bartell, um, another guy who, who taught me how to be a man, um, Lovey Smith, uh, another, another great coach I'm sure who you all know of, um, John Wright, Dwayne Joseph. When I got in the league, there's a lot of distractions and you know, you gotta think you're a young kid at 22 with a boatload of money. I didn't come from money as a friend calls it the lucky um, financial sperm bank. I, I wasn't a part of that club. <laughs> so when you, when you get a large sum of money at a young age, you're, you know, I, I didn't really know what to do, who to trust or who to hire. And I had certain people, I don't know how they were placed in my life or why, but I'm so grateful for them. Um, they taught me, you know, where to place your money, what not to do, here's what you should do. Um, stay out of these bars, stay out of these clubs, chasing this and that. They, 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 they really looked out for me. So I've been very lucky and blessed because I feel like I've been fortunate enough to realize and recognize those, uh, those guys. And so far, I think I've been out of trouble. So yeah, I've, I've, I'm, I'm very grateful uh, to them for that. Yeah, no, that, that's awesome to hear. Just keeping aware, like keeping a, like your eyes open, looking for those guys is such a, that's incredible advice. During that time, as much as you're comfortable sharing, you mentioned the military background, you mentioned sort of uh, the allure of being a, a young man in the NFL with money all of a just dropped in your lap. What did, what did your habits look like? And I guess I'm most interested in what were some of the successful habits regarding, we talked about it today, sleep, nutrition, just kind of, we call them the bedrock staples of life. So you're really good at football. Yeah. What, were, what are those other base level things? Well, here's like? the thing, here's the thing. Um, I was really good in football. I was an amazing athlete, and I didn't really know the game of football. Mm -hmm. So my first two years, I was just, I was just a, an athlete making plays. I wasn't really the football player. And my coaches, just with repetition and failure, I think failure is a prerequisite to be a great player. It's a prerequisite to be successful for the long run. And I was just what our coach used to call us, a DA, a, a dumb ASS. That's what he used to call us when you're out there. That's what I was. I didn't really know when it was third down. I was just like, all right, whatever. I'm just out here. I'm just, hopefully I just don't let the guy catch the ball. Yeah, I knocked the ball down. It was like, well, that was a great goal line stop. And I'm like, huh, it was? Like, I didn't even really realize it was third and goal. Oh, well. Like, so I didn't really pay attention. I was just young and dumb. I was going out, kicking it, hanging out with my friends, not getting the best sleep, eating McDonald's. I was single, had a little two-bedroom condo, and, you know, get out of practice. It was hard cooking for... Uh, a single bachelor, so I didn't really cook. I just ate out all the time. So the bedrock that you guys talk of, 
my first couple years, I didn't really do it. Um, again, working off pure athleticism. And then uh, you get wiser, you get smarter, um, you, you take advantage of what the older guys, your veterans, man, they, they, the veterans make it because they know how to take care of their bodies. They know that their body is their investment. So you start hanging out with the Jerry Azumas and uh, the Olin Krutzes and the, the Roberto Garzas, and you see what these guys do um, for their bodies. And ice tubs, sleep, you know, whatever your calorie or your diet is or anything like that, you know, I'm like, oh, okay, that, okay, yeah, that, that works. I ended up getting a chef, Chef Freddy. I don't know if he's still around. But I ended up getting a chef, and he started making me these meals. And um, I started to see my body change. My body reacted to it in a, in a, in a, in a positive way. Um, but yeah, my first couple years, yeah, that bedrock was not, mm -mm, not a good, not a good foundation. wasn't solid. wasn't solid. And then I noticed, like, man, okay, this dude Olin Cruz has been to like six, seven Pro Bowls. He, he, okay, he gets in early. Okay, and then he stays late. Okay, then he's he's watching film. Okay, oh, he's in the cold tub. Oh, he's in the hot tub. Oh, he's okay. Oh, he's in the weight. Okay, man. Okay, this dude. He know what it takes to do this, okay. So I, I started to pay attention. Um, I did other things, like Tommy mentioned, uh, I wouldn't go do the Bears workouts. I would do workouts designed for me, for my body. So whatever my weaknesses are, they're different than yours and yours and so on and so forth. And the Bears are off season, we would just do one giant workout and it was run this, lift this, jump this. Well. Yeah, but you know, I want to work on my hip flexors and I want to work on my extension and my run and trying to get the doors in. Like, I'm trying to work on that stuff. And I would part when I was here, I would work out with Tommy, or if I was in California, I work out with another trainer, Todd Durkin, that, that I used to use. And that was when I really saw my body respond to custom workouts that I that were designed based upon my, my weaknesses. I started doing yoga, I started doing Pilates. I started doing all types of stretching, not just lifting and running, but I was trying to do everything. I started doing acupuncture. I, I like getting massages. Like I really invested probably another, an additional 50 grand in the off season, like on my body, just to make sure that I was right and successful. And it, it paid off, it really did. Yeah, an investment worth making for sure. That's what uh, Julie, who actually knows your friend Olin pretty well, she's a nutritionist. Yeah. Um, one of your takeaways is that it's highly, there are some bedrock stuff, there's some anchor concepts, but it's so highly individualized. So to take it to the next level would take maybe interaction with an expert or some really, really top level information. Uh, you brought up some teammates. So much of what we do, we talk about this all the time, how sports don't teach life lessons. Intentional teachers and coaches use them as a platform to teach life lessons. Such an important part of that is the community and the culture that's built. You reference some of your teammates. How did, what did that dynamic look like? And if you want to take us back to maybe some of the most successful seasons with, uh, you know, when it really started to click, what did the locker room look like? What did the conversation between you and some of those guys look like? Well, if you, so I've been to two Pro Bowls, excuse me, I've been to two Super Bowls on two different teams. And the one thing that both teams had in common, great locker room. Maybe didn't have the greatest of every player at every position, but everybody, all 53 guys were great. We weren't clicky, we didn't have clicks, no talking behind each other's backs. It was like 
a true team, brother, family, sport, connection, relationship. That's what it was. And we didn't just hang out at work. We hung out outside of work. We were at each other's houses, playing dominoes, playing spades. We would go bowling. We would do dinners. Like, we hung out all the time. And that bond and that connection, I wanted to get to know Tommy. What's you like? What, what's your wife? What are your kids like? So when we got in those trenches, when it was third and one, second and goal, third and goal, when we got in those trenches, I'm relying on you. You knew everything about me. I knew everything about you. And I don't want to let you down. I'm not playing for my coach. It's I'm playing for you. I know you. You're my friend. You're my teammate. You're my brother. It's you and I. It's us against the world. It's all 11 guys. I don't want to let you down. And um, Roman Harper used to look at like uh, he used to look at some of the young players. A guy named Dean Marlowe from James Madison. And I love he took this as a teaching moment. We I don't know. It might not have been a first and goal, second and goal, but it was just a play. And Dean comes in the game, and he looks at him and like, hey, I trust you. That was all he said. And Dean was like, okay, yeah, he trusts me. You know, this is, you know, old, uh, um, Roman was a 10, 12-year vet at the time, 10-year vet. Dean, he's a rookie. But to have your vet come in and say, hey, man, I trust you. Go line up over there. You got that. And then he came and did his thing. Sure as, uh, sure as I, was, I ain't going to say that curse word. <laughs> but um, he ended up making the play. Yeah. And that – Again, it just goes back to the chemistry, the bond that we all had because we were so close. And I equate that to the military. You know, you read all these books, uh, Make Your Bed by General uh, um, Admiral McRaven. Um, and they, 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 they talk about this bond and, and brotherhood that these, these, these guys have, these Navy SEALs and battle buddies and rangers and whatnot. They have this special bond not just on the battlefield, but they hang out, they have a beer, they have dinner, they have cookouts. Like they, there's something to be said about that. And when we made the Super Bowl in 2006 in Chicago, and then back in 2015 in Carolina, the coaches, the players, equipment managers, uh, the trainers, the uh, football ops, it was everybody from top down was on the same level. It was that synergy, that chemistry, and it, and it worked well. Uh, just a, a question about that. Was within the, the Bears in that year in Carolina, was there something that the organization or leadership or, you know, players did intentionally to foster that family that, you know, or was it just organic? I, I heard my brother played 11 years in the NFL and the you know, he says the difference in the teams that went far in the playoffs was the very same thing. Like, the guys just loved each other. Like, they, yeah. they wanted to be together. And, and, and truly, I don't know if it's just one specific thing, but it was, you know what, I want this more for you. Like, I, I'd, I'd say one of my big things was in 2012, I think we all knew it was probably going to be Brian's last year. And... When you get 11 guys playing as one and not one guy doing 11 different things, but if you get 11 guys doing one thing, that's when you know you have something special. And to take it up another level, I want to win the Super Bowl so bad, I don't want it for me, but I want it for you. And on those two teams, that was, I, that was our mindset. It was like, I don't want this for me. I, I, I want it for you. And you get true, selfless, um, true selfless football, true team playing, 
And Rod Marinelli, one of the greatest defensive coaches of all time, used to always say it. Um, you know, it would be a play, and say it was a, it was a, it was a toss, and I'm running. There's a, there's a blocker. He's blocking me. He's blocking me. My entire job, my sole purpose on this defense in cover two as a cornerback is to make everything go inside. So here's a, 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 a lead blocker. He's coming. He's coming. I take out the block. I don't make the tackle. I keep everything contained inside. The tailback, he stops, turns back inside, running. The rest of the defense, he gets tackled. Now, I will never get a stat for that. I will never get a stat for turning back the defense, or excuse me, turning back the, the play back inside. And Rod Mar Marinelli used to say, and, you know, Julius Peppers or Brian Arthur, they might make that tackle. But Rod Marinelli used to always say, you'll never get that stat, but the people in this room, they know you made that play. Because if you don't turn the whole defense back, if you don't sacrifice yourself or your body and turn it back inside and do your job, the 10 other guys, they're lost. So Charles, you made that play, or, or Tim Jennings, you made that play. And that was something that we got defensively. Mm -hmm. And we were, I mean, Carolina, same exact thing. We were just very successful because we thought about everybody else. We didn't think about ourselves. We were so selfless. And that's what, I mean, it's, it's, it's special. And I look at the Los Angeles Rams right now. They got it figured out. They have it figured out. Historically, the law, uh, uh, New England Patriots, they have it figured out. I think their slogan was, do your job, a couple years ago when they went to the Super Bowl. Do your job. It sounds easy, but it's, it's hard to do. You know, just, just do your job. If you take care of your job and do your one thing, everything will take care of itself. If the ball's coming here, stay inside, hey, I'm in my gap. That's, that's my job. I don't have to stay in this gap and then at the last second try to look and make a play over here. And the next thing you know, I'm out of my gap, and he goes in my gap. Don't overdo it. So, Yeah, a friend of ours, uh, Jared Caiello, who's uh, down in Oklahoma City, he, played, he was a fullback in the league. Um, he refers to it's like a potluck dinner. It's one of the most wonderful metaphors I can imagine. He's like, okay, you understand the uh, assignment of, of, uh, of uh, within, well, I'll say within the potluck dinner. Your assignment is to bring the green beans. Yours is to bring the mashed potatoes. Yours is to bring the meat. Now, to take that to the next level, and it sounds like on some of these teams you did, you've got your assignment, you've got the what, right? You probably have the how. This is what I'm supposed to do, this is how I'm supposed to do it, but how well you do it, uh, that, that is taken to another level when you've got something really special. So to continue the metaphor, okay, if you have a bunch of freaking uh, uncooked green beans from the store, yeah, okay, I did my job, I, di I did it. But on those special teams, when you can create a culture that's mutually enhancing, now it's the best freaking green bean almondine you've ever had in your life, exactly. and, and then we can all feast together. I'm stealing right. that. That is exactly what it is. Oh, yeah, sorry. I'm <laughs> stealing that, yeah. yeah. Potluck dinner, I'm stealing that. That's it. That's I, just, I just remembered, uh, like, when we were working together, you were telling me at one point about uh, Rod Marinelli and the way that he motivated you um, Something about Genghis Khan. I don't know if that so strikes me, but maybe he you could talk about he that. He motivated everybody. So Ron Marinelli, he's a D coordinator for the Dallas Cowboys. Um, I will say he's probably one of the greatest D coordinators because the Dallas Cowboys, I want to say, when they made the playoffs a couple, not last year, maybe the year before last, they didn't have a single pro bowler on their team, and they made the playoffs. Uh, Sean Lee, I think he got injured. He's like the only named guy on, on the team. And they got a couple other guys, but they're always uh, like uh, suspended for whatever reason. 
But he took, and I don't want, I, I hate to call him no name, but he, he took a bunch of guys who people didn't really know, and he turned that entire defense around. And it was the same philosophy that he would preach. Hey, just do your job, work as a team, 11 guys doing one thing, not one guy doing 11 things. And every night before, um, the night before every game, he used to have these videos that he would show us. And it was always like uh, when animals attack videos. And you could see a hyena or a pack of wolves or some, some, I don't care what it was, he could always turn that into a football play. And there was one scene where there was a, um, uh, somebody was feeding a bunch of cheetahs or hyenas or something like that. And they took like, like a giraffe leg or something and he threw it to these hyenas and Every it might have been 12 hyenas. Like, they swarmed in on this zebra leg, ripped it apart, and then, you know, did their own thing. And he was like, that's us. That's us right there. That's tomorrow. That's the defense. We're going to swarm Michael Vick or whatever, whoever the quarterback was. We're going to swarm Michael Vick. We're going to swarm Aaron Rodgers like a pack of hyenas, like a pack of wild hyenas. Then there was a, um, there was a cheetah running after an impala or a whatever, some kind of a deer. And this cheetah was moving, and it was in sync. I mean, every, every cut, every turn, this cheetah was on it with the deer. And he was like, Genghis, that's you right there. Genghis, that's you. Every turn, that's you're manned up on uh, um, Calvin Johnson. And whatever he does, you're going to do. You're going to mirror this guy every single step of the way. And he would talk about that, and he would show different, different things. And he knew how to motivate men. He knew how to talk to us. And that was the coolest thing. And I don't care if you were tired, sore, broke foot, torn ACL, whatever it is. The uh, best story I could give you is training camp. Everyone's tired. Everyone's hurt. Everyone's sore. You don't want to do nothing. You're away from your family. You sleep in these crappy beds. You're living in a dorm, sharing bathrooms with like 12 other men. It's terrible. Nobody wants to do it. You're sore. It's hot. And he would come in. You know, he'd, he'd walk in. Hey, hey, man, how you doing? How you doing? He's like, hey, you're doing a hell of a job. You're out there. You're working hard. I know you're hot. I know you're tired. I know you're hungry and you want to go home and lay next to your, your wife and do all that other good stuff. But I need more. I'm going to bleed you dry. And I'm doing you a disservice if I don't work the hell out of you. You're doing yourself a disservice. So I need more from you, Genghis. I need more from you, 54. I need more from you, 55. And you would walk into that meeting like, man, I just want to go home. I'm tired. I just want to throw in the towel. And then after he would get done with that meeting, you're just like, you know what? I think I can run through that wall and break it right now. Even though I don't care how sore you were after, after he would give a speech, you're like, yeah, I can. You know what? I think I want to run a marathon for this dude right now. And that's how he would motivate you. And he would call you by your number. If he liked you, he'd call you by your number. Hey, 54. Hey, 33. Hey, 92, 55. And if he really liked you, he would give you a nickname. So my nickname was Genghis after Genghis Khan. So Genghis, Genghis Khan, obviously one of the, the, the greatest rulers, generals, whatever, of back a long, long time ago. Genghis Khan, why? Well, Genghis Khan just took over stuff. He took whatever he wanted. And because of the whole peanut punch thing, me walking up to people and just taking whatever I wanted, that was why he used to call me Genghis. So 
Never called me Charles, never called me Tillman, never called me Peanut. It started out as 33, and then it slowly matriculated into to Gangs. So he was just, hey, Gangs, hey, how you doing? And he gave me like a, um, like this, this Gangs Khan hat. So yeah, man, I nothing but love and respect for that dude, because he could, he would motivate the hell out of me. And I never wanted to disappoint him. He would come up to you, hey, hey, how you feeling? How you feeling, Gangs? Feel good, hey. I need that ball. I need you to get it for me. Can you get it? Yeah, yes, sir. And I mean, it was just, it was like a personal mission to go out and get this ball for that man. Like it was, yeah, complete motivation. That's amazing. And I'm so happy you bring that up. Uh, if you don't know what we're talking about. With Sorry, the I'm standing. Punch, like I, I'm, I'm very get like, rid of it. yes. The ADD, is, the ADD is kicking in. So I know there's a camera, so you're you going to have to move that. You're going to have to follow me. <laughs> he was asleep back there. So I'm <laughs> calling him back. I love it. So the, the peanut punch, like what sets you apart from our perspective, because usually from a fan's perspective, it's so hard to see force. Right. It, like you said, there's so many of those things that, that, are, that are essential to high quality, high functioning systems and teams. And there's like that other stuff that's more noticeable. The peanut punch almost by definition is do your job and then some, right? Like it's, it's make the tackle, find the ball. Right. Uh, tell us more about where that started. I mean, was that what you were thinking always about, like? Thinking about, thinking, out, thinking outside the box. Um, yeah. I like to think I'm a big guy and I hit hard, but I don't. Like I'm, I, I try and do the Ray Lewis hit and the Luke Keekley hit and just like separate you from the ball. I can't do it. Like it just every, I, I, I'll hit you hard when you're not looking. You know, if the receiver's doing one of these, oh, it's like I'm coming full speed. I'm gonna lie you up. But if you like running at me and we score up like that, I'm probably gonna get run over. Like it just, it just doesn't happen. So I was like, you know what? Think outside the box. So um. In college, what I, what I used to do is I would, if the guy's running this way, he's running down the, um, I'll do it this way. So the guy's running, 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 and I would purposely take a bad pursuit angle, purposely. So he's running this way and I'm running, running, and I could clearly come like that, and I would just slowly get behind him, and I was fast enough that I could catch up to him, secure the tackle, I would kind of like choke him, arm over, and then I would punch out like that. So I did, that was kind of like a college move. And then I got in the league, and I just noticed that the guys were carrying the football, you know. Mm -hmm. They would just kind of, you know, it's doing all their moves, and the ball would be out here, and they're doing this, and it's like, well, I'm just punching it out. And it was just one of those things that just kind of, uh, it kind of just, it, it kind of happened. And again, just thinking, thinking outside the box, just trying to take it to the next level, trying to be different. I like different. I don't like to be the same. I like to be different within the scheme of the rules and, and things like that. But yeah, just, just being different, trying to be the best at, at what I could do. I knew I, I couldn't uh, uh, hit guys hard and, 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 and force out the, the football that way. So I like to think that I have the, the David and Goliath approach you know, if David would have just fought Goliath, like, squirrel on hands up, he probably would have died. So he's like, you know what, I'm going to just take this little sling, yeah, right in the eye, cut his head off. So I just have a different approach. I call it the, the you know, David and Goliath. I just think different. I think outside the box. I love it. You can uh, use that metaphor, yeah. I'm going to take that one. one, too. It makes the transition I was hoping to make a little more uh, difficult, but... 
So the, 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 all this incredible stuff that you've done, your drive as an athlete, your ability to think outside of the box, uh, to be part of this, these really cool team cultures, and obviously more than just a, a participant, a leader, how has that moved you into the work that you're doing now? Tommy mentioned that you were the NFL's Walter Payton Man of the Year at one point. Uh, you've done so much for the community. Uh, it started while you were as an athlete and is really kind of elevated since. How has that transferred over to your post-career? And maybe for those who don't know, fill us in a little bit about like the Cornerstone Foundation. Some yeah, of that stuff. so in 2008, my daughter received a heart transplant. Um, changed me for the best. I mean, I don't wish it on anybody or want anyone to ever have to go through that. But because of that situation that we went through with, you know, my, my daughter, um, something, something great came out of it, and that's uh, the Cornerstone Foundation. And, you know, we try to help chronically and critically ill children, just being a resource for them and their families. Um, someone, a woman, a donor, you know, in her deepest and her darkest hour, she made a choice, she made a decision. Uh, and the doctors, when they approached her, you know, your, your son, I'm sorry, he's not going to make it, but would you like to donate your, uh, his organs? And she said yes. I don't, never knew this woman, didn't know this woman, um, but she blessed me because if my daughter didn't, doesn't get that heart, she dies. And she blessed me. And because of her blessing, what we've been able to do with this foundation and the money that we've raised and the programs that we've been able to create and all the families that we've been able to help. It's a direct blessing from what this woman, Magali, did. So every time our foundation blesses somebody, it's really Magali blessing other people because of the choice and the selflessness that she made and that these other families are, they're benefiting from. So I'm forever grateful for her. And um, I've got to meet a lot of cool, a lot of interesting people. I've heard a lot of great stories, a lot of sad stories. Um, but it's really, it's really taught me about using your, your strength for service and not a status, you know? And just my platform, I, I don't know why people like to listen to me talk, but because they do, I take advantage of that. And I, 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 I try to use, use that for something, uh, I try to use that for something good. That's incredible. I th well, I think, could we applaud that real quick? Because I think, although, I mean, for real, I mean, it comes so naturally to you, seemingly. It comes so naturally to you. It doesn't always. So to have a guy of your caliber spread that message and say, listen, it's not, uh, we, we, we talk today about how we talk about mental health. We talk about the, some of the important things going on in, in athletics. Oftentimes it takes a really sort of quantifiably from the outside looking in tough human being to break open these conversations saying use your platform for other things reach out lend a hand to other people uh you're you're kind of the perfect guy to to carry that torch forward and i hope people listen so it's incredible yeah yeah and like i said man i've i've learned uh i've, I've learned a lot in my short 37 years or at the time i think i was 27 when it happened when she got sick and i i learned a lot i grew up extremely fast. I learned, you know, the, what life really is about, the true nature of that, um, really being selfless and just, you know, helping somebody else, you know, and I, 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 I truly think that's, that's what it's about. Um, we were hurting. I was financially set. I could do and buy pretty much anything I wanted, but at that time, it really wasn't about money. Money couldn't help me with anything. Um, and this woman, uh, she, she made a choice, and she helped a complete stranger, and I think my wife and I, that's kind of what we've dedicated ourselves to doing is just, you know, just, just helping other people who 
not necessarily can't help themselves, but they're just in a they're just in a bad place. They're in a bad situation, and they need a little bit of help. And I think our foundation, we've been able to provide that for a lot of families, and it's been it's been awesome. And the, one of the best compliments, or one of the best things you can do, is when you see someone needing helping a complete stranger, just go out and help them. Whether it's helping an elder lady across the street, giving somebody ten bucks because their car ran, you know, they ran out of gas, and they just need like ten bucks to make it to a gas station. Uh, just just anything, helping a complete stranger. And then you see that person later in life is like, oh man, you remember that time you gave me 10 bucks? I know you don't know me, but I really appreciate it. I was able to make it to my appointment on time. I got the promotion I needed. You know, now we're not gonna lose our house. We, I was able to make those mortgage payments. And you're like, man, all that, just cause I gave you 10 bucks to make it to the gas station? Like it's the best feeling. So if you haven't helped a complete stranger, I challenge you to do it. It's some of the coolest stuff you'll ever do. That's incredible. Yeah. It's, it's an amazing message. You have any more questions before I ask kind of the wrap up? No, we always ask people this question. You may have already touched on it a bunch of times, but if you had to condense the message in some way, um, advice to, this is straight from Coach Nadal in the back there, advice uh, to a future leader who's hoping to kind of walk a similar path. Differences are what make champions, not the similarities. And the biggest difference is how we think. Champions think differently. Um, if you were to take the best team in the NFL right now, we would say is the Rams, right? We'll say the Rams. No, no, let's, let's go back last season. So let's take the Philadelphia Eagles. They won the Super Bowl, best team in the NFL. And then you take the worst team in the NFL, Cleveland Browns. If we were to take them and put them in a combine, do a three-cone drill, do everything, as athletes, they would all pretty much be in the middle within themselves. They would be great, right? I don't think we could really tell them apart. But now from a team standpoint, the Philadelphia Eagles, they think differently. They think on a different level. They think about winning every day. I'm pretty sure they break it down. Hey, 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 a win on three, one, two, three, win. Uh, playoffs on three, one, two, three, playoffs. Super Bowl, champs, you know, that's what they break it down. And they don't just break it down. They really believe it. Cleveland Browns, they're probably, win on three, one, two, three. Wait, man, I'm finna go to the club. I'm finna kick it. I'm finna, you know, what, whatever it is that they do. And I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm ad-libbing in that. But I would say they think differently. Like, oh, yeah, maybe I might not want to skip. Maybe I'm skipping film or, yeah, I'm going to probably skip this workout. I think it's just... You get, those one, you get those teams that really get it, and collectively, all 53 guys believing one thing mm -hmm. versus 53 guys thinking 53 different things. I equate it to um, the avalanche effect. You know, one snowflake is kind of nothing, but then you take a bunch of snow at one time, it's one hell of a force to be reckoned with. Yeah. And I think that's... Your Super Bowl champion Philadelphia Eagles versus your 0-16 Cleveland Browns. Mm -hmm. So differences are what make champions, not the similarities. And the biggest difference is how we think. Champions, they think differently. They think about winning all the time. They know how to win. They know when it's third and goal and their back's up against the wall and they're in the trenches. They don't panic. Mm -hmm. You know, they're, they're, they're calm. They got the, the self-discipline. They got the concentration. They're optimistic. 
they relax, and when they get in that zone, they have fun. They enjoy it. So that would be my, uh, yeah, I call it the score. So self-discipline, you know, the habits and rituals, paying that price, C for concentration, um, just really getting in that zone and focusing, optimism, uh, no negative self-talk. You know, when it's, you know, someone catches a touchdown or you jump off sides or you miss a sack or whatever, you miss the open layup, don't get down on yourself. Don't be the guys like, oh, I gave that up. Because what will happen is one bad play, the negative thinking, it'll lead to two. Two, three, three, get you cut. <laughs> so you don't want to have that. Um, R, relax. You can't get in the zone if you're tense. Mm -hmm. You know, I've never seen um, Usain Bolt, when he's running, he is just like, man, this is easy. I'm, he's, he's relaxed, you know. He's, he's not like stiff or running like this or anything like that. He's just relaxed. He's in that zone. And then uh, E, enjoyment. You got to have fun doing what you love, whether it's cooking, coaching, teaching, lifting, playing football, being a custodian, mopping floor, whatever it is, you got to have fun doing it. You got to enjoy that. So, yeah, man, that's 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 my advice. And that's kind of what I try to live by. This week's episode is brought to you by Remind Recover. Remind Recover is a supplement that helps athletes support brain health. Similar to how you drink a protein shake to help your muscles recover after a workout, Remind Recover has been scientifically formulated to give you the nutritional building blocks to help support healthy brain function. I am a huge fan of Remind Recover. It is as close to the science as any supplement I've seen, and feel free to check out their website for more. It's remindrecover.com. And when you go there, if you want to place an order, and I recommend it, use the code GOODATHLETE for a discount on checkout.